Hey, welcome to a special sibling episode of Policy Wise, where we sit down with one of our siblings and get to know a little bit more about what they're passionate about. Enjoy! I'm your host, Demetria Wack. And I'm your host, Michael Wiafe. Today on Policy Wise. For over a year, the COVID-19 pandemic has been ravaging the world. Nationally, there has been over 30 million positive cases and over 550,000 COVID-related deaths here in the United States. Here in California, there's been a little over 3.5 million cases and about 60,000 deaths at the time of this recording. With the hurricane apologies and attempts to curb the impact of the virus, nobody has been more on the front line from day one than our healthcare workers. They've been our heroes in limiting deaths, putting their own lives at risk, and working extra hours with limited resources and insufficient support from the federal government. As we've seen, the impact of COVID has been racialized, with low-income people of color and those deemed as essential workers being most affected. To put it into context, Black and brown people are about three times more likely to be hospitalized and two times more likely to die from the virus. However, most doctors do not look like the communities in which they are serving during the pandemic. Nationally, less than 5% of all physicians are Black and just under 6% of physicians are Latinx. With us today to talk about her experience as a medical student in her final year on the front lines of the pandemic is Audra Wiafe. Audra is graduating in a few months from Lomalinda University School of Medicine and is starting her time as a resident physician specializing in family medicine at the Lomalinda University Medical Center in Children's Hospital, joining the less than 3% of Black women doctors in the country. Lomalinda University Medical Center is one of 14 level one trauma centers in California and the only one in the Inland Empire serving as the only children's hospital for over 1.3 million of California's youth. She has a master's in biomedical sciences, also from Lomalinda University, and received her bachelor's of science in biochemistry from the University of California at Riverside. She also has the unique privilege as serving as my oldest sister. Audra, would you like to add anything to your bio? And would you like to tell us why healthcare is important for you? Yeah, um, uh, first and foremost, I do see it as my calling and my purpose. I've seen it hit home um, and and just seeing family members and friends interact with the medical system, both positive and negative experiences, has really given me the drive to want to be the kind of doctor that can really give optimal care to, to patients. Um, and I guess what I, I can add anything to my bio is I'd like to continue in the uh, pursuing into preventative medicine um, and just, you know, work to really provide a more healthier uh uh, community for the patients and, and also just to prevent things in the long term. Amazing. Thank you so much for being with us. It's, it's really a pleasure to hear from you and even have the, have your time, uh, during all of this. And so thank you. Um, would you mind just starting off by giving us a picture of what it actually looks like right now to be on the front lines? Sure. Yeah. I have to say now things have been getting, uh, you know, a little bit better than how it's been in the past year, thankfully. Um, but I do remember when things got pretty tight, um, like walking through the wards, um, you would see units that were, you know, maybe for some purpose becoming turned into COVID units. And then you would see unit after unit being inter- turned into COVID units. Um, and then nurses and, and staff, um, you know, being, you know, having feeling that added, added pressure, feeling more exhausted than they normally are. And also just be seeing like family members uh, within the same family in, in the hospital and just seeing the strain that you can see it, it goes on family working in the, in the ICU with the most sickest patients. It's heartbreaking when you see doctors saying, you know, I feel like I'm giving, handing the iPad 
for families to FaceTime and see their family member for the last time before we intubate this patient. And so just dealing with a lot of those things, it, it does take a toll um, on the mental health of everybody who's being affected by this. And just know, uh, just learning how to allocate resources that are limited, deal with families that are stressed, and then just figuring out what my role as a student was, that was also quite the challenge as well. Speaking about your role as a student, what was your role as a student? And maybe how is it different than the attending physicians? Maybe did you have faculty that were, you know, kind of put the gloves on as well? Um, maybe a little bit different than normal. What was that like as a in, in the student space? So initially it was hard uh, because like governing body that controls like medical schools across the country initially were like, okay, no medical student is allowed in the wards at this time. And so we were all pulled out from the clinical rotations for some time. And then um, a couple months or so out, then they were slowly letting us back in. Um, and then there was some talk about, oh, you can volunteer um, and like, you know, and out of your own risk, you know, that way you're kind of making your own. Mm -hmm. um, and then some people were conflicted whether, man, is should I put my family at risk and go volunteer when I'm not getting paid for it and people are getting paid for it and doing the same thing? So there was kind of that like conflict that we were, you know, trying to decide. But then we also found ways of how we can be helpful. Um, I know classmates of mine that were offering to babysit kids of frontline staff that were in the hospital when we couldn't go in or offer to watch their dogs when they had to be away for long periods of time um, or just going into the community and um, you know, passing out goodies to homeless that are out in the streets and they don't have much. Um, and so we were just trying to find creative ways to be able to be helpful during the pandemic when we felt like we couldn't always be there. But once we were um, setting back into the wards, we would try to do what we can to be helpful. Um, and there are some, you know, restrictions. Uh, maybe we should, um, we, we don't want you to see COVID patients and have the PPE, you know, for those that can go in and um, actually, you know, be able to do the most for their care, um, just to keep resources where they are and keep you safe. So um, we were able to find creative ways, but there was also that, like, you also want to know how do you tread and like be, you know, helpful and, you know, also not be in the way. So yeah, it was kind of a hard, <laughs> hard way to, to navigate that. So I do recall when you were doing your emergency room rotation. I think that was that was probably the one time where I looked and was like, oh, she's going into the lion's den. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I there was one day I was able to drop you off and there were tents outside um, with COVID patients. And it was cold. It was December. And I just remember thinking, like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, but also that um, that I saw you also administering vaccines. So can you tell us a little bit um, about the harder parts of your experience and what is the hardest um, thing that you've experienced so far? Yeah, I'd say the hardest things have been seeing young people um, and, and that are going through it, whether they are the ones watching their parents that are in, in the hospital in really poor condition um, or if it's young people that have like a, a dire condition themselves and just seeing how they are just kind of coming to grappling with how serious, you know, their condition are. And, you know, maybe they're in, they just started college and you're like, oh, man, I remember seeing a patient that just started college um, and, you know, had like a, a long term, you know, girlfriend and he was in the hospital and we found something very serious and we had to tell them that, you know, probably six months at most, um, you know, give and take. And so that 
that was really heartbreaking to see. And and I remember the the scenes from the emergency room, you know, and there, yeah, we did have tents outside um, and it was cold. And I, I remember like, you know, nursing staff going out and handing out warm blankets to the patients outside. Um, and, and it was just like, wow, are we in the U.S. <laughs> or, you know, or serving in a, you know, third, third world country? Sometimes it felt that way. Um, but it, it was really awesome when we could be the ones offering vaccines to the frontline staff, um, to each other as students. And, um, that was really, really meaningful because we could really interact with those that are, um, in, in the wards doing the work and also hear from their stories and get glimpses from their perspective of how things were going. And now we're giving it out to the community members as well. And so it, we've been able to interact with the community at large, get glimpses and pictures of, of, of what people are going through and also the excitement of finally getting the vaccine. You, thank you for sharing that story. And I, I think it, it's difficult. Like, it's one thing to understand, like, you know, what healthcare workers do from like the outside. Uh, but I think it's like stories like that where you're like, oh my gosh, I, I don't even know how I would begin to grapple with um, the things that you all go through. So uh, thank you for your work. And also I'm excited that there was at least some, you know, light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines. Hopefully that was like rewarding. Um, I, and hopefully, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's just such a different, it's just a whole different world. Um, and especially, you know, you kind of touched on some of the different things that you've gotten to do throughout your experience, like your COVID experience specifically. Do you think that there's things that you've gone through now as a student during COVID that are going to, you know, make you more or less prepared for uh, life after student life um, when you're working like as a doctor post-residency? Definitely. Yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, One, being flexible, um, being able to adapt with constantly changing guidelines, changing um, environments, um, and also just learning how to be creative. Um, when feeling like there might be a, a roadblock or a wall somewhere, knowing how to be creative to navigate how to get around something in order to help someone in need. Um, you know, health disparities has been an issue, but I felt like, you know, this pandemic really just like put the light more on how mm-hmm. health disparities and how people that have lack of access to healthcare um, are at more of an issue when it, when it comes to like allocating resources and stuff like this. And so that has, you know, opened my eyes even more to be mindful of that. Um, and so I feel like that has helped me, you know, have that perspective going in. Um, as far as challenges go, you know, we, you know, some of us had to be pulled from rotations and, you know, had to make that up later. And so, you know, which, you know, could have had been like, you know, I feel like I could have patched up some things more in some areas where, you know, I had less of a, a clinical experience. But I, I also know that uh, residency is where we get pretty much most and really iron out the details. Um, and so I'd have to be more intentional about seeking those areas out. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of brought up uh, what I guess what inequities have been brought up um, because of the pandemic. So do you feel like you have a little bit more of an idea of what works 
and what the government maybe should start to be doing um, as we get into our, now Demi and I are going to get into our policy speak at some point, um, <laughs> but uh, what changes to policy might need to occur from your standpoint as a, a, a budding practitioner, uh, what would really help from the government side or from the policy side to provide the most quality healthcare that you could? Yeah. Um, and this is where I love it because this is where preventative medicine comes in. <laughs> Our system right now is great at putting out fires. Like we, like if you have an accident, trauma, like you're really sick, this is the place to be for that kind of care. Um, but when it comes to keeping people healthy or preventing things from happening, we're at a huge disadvantage when it comes to that. And um, that is costing us a lot of money. The, the cost of our healthcare system is so much pricier than what we're receiving for our healthcare. Um, and, and so I feel like when it comes to policy, finding a way that we can set up a more preventative model to where we are keeping people healthy, getting people access to healthcare where we're doing screenings early, um, you know, catching things early, people uh, that, that tend not to interact much with the healthcare system for various reasons tend to come and show up in the emergency room when things are late. And, and at that point, you know, there's only so much you can do. You try your best. Um, but the best thing we can do is to get access to as many people as we can, educate people about how to live a healthy lifestyle with limited resources, um, and, and just to be able to, you know, screen people early on mm -hmm. and prevent a lot of these things and stop having to spend so much money on healthcare. Do you have, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things that could be done, like early screening and stuff like that. What are some other policies that you think would be really helpful so that you're in charge of like, I don't know if it's like in charge of a hospital, maybe you're in charge of like the entire health system everywhere. Um, things that you would be doing as a policymaker to really, like really clear up, <laughs> really clear up different systems. Like, is there different models in different countries that you might use or what, what seems to be working elsewhere? That's a great question. And to be honest, um, I feel like that's something that I'm still exploring. You know what, what I'd like to see, and this is kind of a, of a vision for my future, um, is I would like to see people like me uh, showing up at schools, showing kids what a healthy plate looks like, just being able to also provide avenues where people can show up in a less stressed you know, situation of venue um, and be able to receive health care um, that is, you know, affordable, um, free even. Also, people that are able to show up at people's houses. This is what I've seen done in, in, in certain communities where they have health community workers show up in people's houses that speak the language. They, they might be, you know, speak Spanish, show up to a home that speaks Spanish and they come from that that community. Mm being able to to interact with them and and just learn you know where they're coming from and they feel comfortable that this is someone who is is from where I'm from who is able to hear me out and help me navigate the healthcare system which is very complex and complicated someone who isn't from here hasn't been mm -hmm. in the system showing up um having people that are ready to just boots on the ground go into the community and and really just uh, bring people together um, and, and like being a minority, there's not a lot of us, you know, in, in, in like healthcare positions and leadership positions. And so it, it, you can, like, I've seen that like 
starry eyed look and and like black children that see me as their doctor, you know, and just like, oh, my goodness. You know, you just see the, the face light up um, because it's like, wow, she can do it. I mean, I can do it, too, you know. So so just think, think finding a way that we can work together. And, and I would like more that healthcare workers can work with policymakers so that we can give our what we see. And then and then, um, you know, you guys can also share us like how we can help just like more communication, more sharing and just knowing how can we come together to build communities up um, and, and help people that are really struggling. You bring up a lot of things that are like lighting up light bulbs all over my head. Um, and so this is this is the moment where I get on top of a soapbox. <laughs> um, so first, uh, I, you know, Audra mentioned at the beginning when, when why she decided to go down this path. That part of it was that she saw the impact of healthcare on family members and friends. Um, we were born in a missionary hospital. Um, and when we came to the United States, I had health issues. And not anything that I remember. She probably might. She was like six or seven. Um, but navigating the healthcare system was like a massive issue um, when I was a when I was a child. And um, quite recently, I said like, you know, if, if I had landed somewhere else that wasn't Loma Linda, that wasn't like like basically, you know, half the city is a hospital. Um, I might not have survived, and so part of that, I think, you know, affected both of us in different ways. Um, and I'm the only one in my family who's not in the healthcare, you know, the, the healthcare kind of world. And and part of that is kind of bridging that connection. And you also mentioned um, the impact of diversity, what it's like to treat someone who looks like you and to kind of have a little bit more of a, a common understanding of the cultural identity and the cultural aspect of it um, in the aspect of healthcare. So that that leads me to, to say you're about to be one of the few Black women doctors in, in the country um, entering a field that has long and frankly distrusted history with the community of people who look like us. And you kind of touched on it, but I want to know a little bit more. What does it mean to be a Black woman doctor to you? And what can you tell us about the importance of diversity in your field? That I know I just asked the question, but I'm going to add a little bit more. Um, uh, when I, I do have a memory of, and I've, I've told Audra this, um, it, especially recently, because there's a lot of things that happen when you're young and you don't look back and be like, you know what, that might have been racist until like many years later. I had a dentist. When I was a kid, I had health issues. Uh, I had health issues, yes, but I also had teeth issues because I love candy. And so like in middle school, I would be at the dentist all the time. <laughs> um, and so I had to get, it was probably like a cavity or something. I don't even know. But they like, you know, they inject you and, you know, you get the numbing, whatever. And I remember like starting to close my eyes. I never knew whether it was because of the medicine or because I just wanted to go to sleep that I would like try to fall asleep during these. Um, but I remember the conversation that the doctors had, like, over my body, basically, as I'm laying there. And one of them was like, should we start? And the other one was like, he should be good. And then I remember the older doctor saying, like, oh, well, Black people have denser bones. We should probably wait a little bit longer. Or, like, maybe we have to use a, a different, like, he was just kind of, like, using it in, like, very racialized. And I was sitting there like, I guess I have dense bones. Like, you know, as, like, a kid, you don't know, like, that maybe what's being told to you isn't, like, isn't correct or shouldn't maybe shouldn't have been told to you because of a different skin color but anyway I said all of that to, to ask the question what does it mean to have diversity in your field yeah diversity is so important what you're talking about is is what we call pseudoscience that has been something that is in the medical history um some of my classmates do this podcast called a medical history in color and 
they talk about how a lot of these ideas that like black people can tolerate pain more mm-hmm. or they have denser bones or thicker skin, you know, stuff like that. Um, thankfully, I didn't get that taught to me very much, <laughs> thankfully, but that is part of the history that people were being taught this. And so there, there's, there's probably older doctors that actually believe that those, those types of things. And, and there has been, um, uh, uh, studies showing that, you know, pain, you know, black, that, that black patients might, you know, have a harder time getting pain meds you know, or take longer to get pain meds than someone who isn't, you know. And so there is that issue um, of, of race in our in our medical history. And, and it's still, you know, there today, um, unfortunately. And so uh, the way that I've interacted, like I've had comments, you know, made at me by patients, you know, and and, and sometimes people around me that are workers and and yeah. And, and, and times, you know, you, it does remind, it does remind you that this is still an issue that people still have ideas or mm-hmm. um, conceptions about you in your head. Um, and also uh, like you, you, you almost have this feeling that you are proving yourself to people that you are comp- a competent physician as a, a black physician. Um, but also realizing that I don't have to prove myself to anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) so there's that like there's that kind of you know uh I don't know what to call conflict that you kind (laughs) of have to like walk as well but also realizing that um when other minorities see you they are hopeful they are also like Mm -hmm. proud of you I've been stopped by um like older uh, patients or, or older people that would be like, oh, you're a medical student. And just by hearing that, they would start tearing up. And that would give me chills because I can only imagine what they've been through in this country in the 60s or, you know, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is so important because it, 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 it also motivates the younger generation to work hard and know that they can achieve it too. When everything around them doesn't, you you don't see that much representation. Mm -hmm. So diversity is so important. In addition to that, um, being a minority person, I find myself also looking out for minority people, knowing that we have a harder time navigating the system. And so the more we put people of diversity in, in, in leadership positions, it's helping bridge that health disparity gap um, and also like bring people to light more of our potential um, and, and also fight against some of the, the, the comments, the microaggressions, the, the racism ideas that are out there. I guess, I guess um, just to, to lead into the next question, just cause like, there's just so much that I think we could just like stop and think about. So if you're listening right now, just like pause it for like five seconds and just like do some deep breaths. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to ask, you know, what you brought up here is like a truly like inspiring perspective. You know, we're seeing like COVID really highlighted how healthcare access is racialized. And we've also seen the same thing happen. And we've talked about it on our podcast when it comes to uh, like education and digital divide and different things like that. How do you think that like healthcare in itself 
is the same and also different than these other sectors? Um, and, and why do you think it's like specifically important that people pay attention to the way that healthcare is racialized? That's a great question. And wow, there, that would take a multifaceted answer for <laughs> sure. And I can't say that I have the answer to that. You know, I, I feel like um, it has shed light on, you know, a lot of the, the racial um, tensions that exist in healthcare and also in all, you know, other areas uh, of, of our, our, of our country. Um, and so I feel like when it comes to healthcare, um, everybody needs healthcare, <laughs> whether you're healthy or not, um, everybody needs it. And so the more that we take away healthcare from, uh, minority, minorities or access to healthcare from that, we're feeding into the whole issue of, of racial injustice. Um, the more that we are, um, I guess, uh, putting more of like that, uh, pseudoscience idea where, you know, if you're from this race or you, you have this kind of, uh, tendency or this kind of thing without really explaining why, um, you know, we always hear, we hear a lot like, you know, black people are more at risk for diabetes and like hypertension and, you know, all of those things. Um, but then we realize that like in a lot of minority areas, um, uh, pl places where, you know, the, the, a lower social and economic status areas is a food desert where finding a grocery store with affordable, um, you know, produce is hard to find. And the, the, all the stuff that are around are fast food areas that are convenience. And so that, you know, even though it's not, it's, it's not directly like, Healthcare, but it for sure, it for sure feeds into healthcare. Mm -hmm. The way the education system is, is, is built, you know, um, how the, the school, the quality of the school systems are. Uh, if you have a teacher that is really going to encourage like the minority students to work hard and achieve, you know, find leadership positions instead of constantly considering them as a troublemaker in class, mm -hmm. constantly in detention, you know, or, or not really believing in the students, um, will they apply for medical school? Will they apply for law school? Might be a little harder. So it is, um, it is something that we all intersect somewhere. Yeah. It's all related. And, um, we're, it's going to take a joining hands together movement to make a, to make a big difference. And if I could just add a little bit, um, just cause I was, I was just having this conversation with, um, actually some of my students uh, that I work with um, and they were talking about like basically food deserts in the Bay area, but also like the prevalence of things like liquor stores or, mm -hmm. um, you know, smoke shops and things like that. Like the prevalence of those in low income communities versus high income, like just that alone, you're affecting their health, their livelihood. Um, there's also environmental, there's also environmental impacts of it. Um, like, you know, where's waste being distributed? Um, uh, where can, what communities most likely are to have their water, uh, impacted? I was, I was reading just a few, um, weeks ago about, um, essentially the impact of, uh, of unclean water in South Central LA. Like this is in California and, and there are communities that are disproportionately of color that have their health being impacted. really quickly like on top of that i think you can see this like very starkly in the central valley 
like in in Fresno, the liquor stores in particular was something that's like recently been targeted as, you know, significantly affected certain certain groups. And um, it really does all add up. It all intersects somewhere. I think that's like a a huge point Um, really quickly. And and you you kind of touched on it a bit. um, But I I wanted to ask, like, how much do you think as far as, um, you know, certain like a like at least here, like in uh, for our listeners, I'm in the UK. For the UK, a huge reason why, um, like, we're seeing the numbers of um, racial minority groups not wanting to get vaccine has been attributed to a lack of trust in the NHS here. And I was just wondering if you're seeing that in the healthcare system in the US and in California, if you think that trust has been like a huge factor of why, you know, maybe there's people turning to different explanations um, to, to like health uh, or like to like to fix their symptoms or or else just like you know rejecting um formal systems as a whole and how big of a problem you think it is it is for sure a problem it is for sure a problem there we we do see that lack of trust you know um that that does come up quite a bit and i i don't blame i don't blame them at all just thinking of how the 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 history of medicine has really caused issues um I don't know if you're aware of like the syphilis trials where, mm. you know, they, they took a lot of, of, of black people and did a whole bunch of tests on them. And, and it caused a lot of issues without really being transparent about what they were doing. Mm. Um, and so some people still carry that. Um, and there's been a whole bunch more where um, the, you know, slaves have been used in the past, yeah. you know, for really invasive um testing and procedures that were very inhumane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and so that, that has been an issue there. Um, and that, that has just kind of been passed down and, and been, you know, where, you know, issues where people f- are not being heard, where they are calling for their nurse and um, someone, you know, the nurse might not respond as fast to them. Um, or, or we see the, the, the divide where you see more black people, women are, are dying in childbirth than any other racial group. And you wonder why. Um, and then they, le- they they were like, well, they don't study like maybe some, the color doesn't turn pa- as pale as someone who's like losing blood, you know, <laughs> so uh, or someone's crying out for help might not really be taken as seriously um, for that. And so, so, so there's a lot of reasons why that could be. And so people are hearing these stories and, over this past year, uh, the recent years, we've just been seeing all sorts of things on social media. It's just confusing a lot of people. And so there is just this, what do I believe? Who's speaking the truth? What is, what kind of, you know, yeah. what, what should I believe? Um, and, and just all the history that's in being involved. And so it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, get people to trust the system again, who has treated them so poorly over and over and over again. And so that's something that, you know, is a challenge that we are facing, which is another reason why we need to include more diversity um, in, in our in our healthcare system uh, to also be able to just hear people out that are having an issue with trust. I, I've seen it. Um, I remember a, a patient who would re- refuse to take her blood pressure medications 
Um, and and I, I was able to have a long conversation with her and she still refused. And it wasn't until I talked to her family that she was like, yeah, her family members have been a victim of the, the syphilis, you know, trials. And so from that, she feels like what we're giving her mm-hmm. is not going to help her, but actually causing her harm. And so, you know, some of the staff were caught, were being like, oh, she's non-compliant. She's this, you know, <laughs> a difficult patient. Um without really understanding where she's coming from. So people that are, uh, you know, able to sit down and be like, hey, what's really going on? Rather than placing a label on someone who might be labeled as a difficult patient, um, that that can be helpful and to, to, to help, you know, bring more trust and, you know, help stop, you know, this, 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 this situation. So how would, okay, so I'm, I'm seeing this in a lot of different factors because to me, some of the things that you're mentioning um, uh, that we're seeing in the data is quite fixable. Like, you know, it's listen when people tell you they're in pain, like, you know, it's, it, yeah. and to me, some of these are, are, are pretty simple, um, but lack, you know, the cultural understanding, um, to, to actually carry that out. But some of them also are not like, you can't go back and change history. Yeah. And so if somebody has been personally affected by something that's happened in history, like, what do you do? You know, uh, what, what is possible? So I, I, I guess for the, uh, what we're curious about is how would you address this with policy? Uh, it, like, you know, if, if there's an idea that you might have, I'm sitting here and, and mine personally is like, give everybody healthcare. Like, you know, <laughs> let's make this a much simpler thing. I, I think part of the preventative aspect that you're mentioning um, to me is going to the doctor early. Like it's, yeah. you know, the, the problem, and I do this all the time too. I'm not going to a doctor until it really hurts. Like until it really gets in the way of my life, <laughs> that's when I'm going to go seek, seek out, you know, support and attention. And here my sister is like about to be a doctor and I'm still probably, you know, going to be in that same way. And part of that is because of the cost. Um, but another part of that is time, et cetera, et cetera. How might you address this with policy? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I'd say like something that like my school has been doing and I really appreciate it is they've been uh, like doing like some tests where you see like what biases you have. Mm. <laughs> and then um, they, they you know, it's it's not perfect. They've been working and refining on it year after year, but they've been looking at, you know, to let people be aware of their implicit biases and, and, you know, just to let people know that, hey, we all have biases to a, to a certain degree. Yeah. And if we choose to ignore it or turn a blind eye, if we refuse to, uh, uh, if we choose to ignore it and just turn a blind eye, like it, it, it can just perpetuate the problem. But if we're aware of what our implicit biases are, um, we can be more intentional about how we are treating p- patients, um, be more intentional about how we are interacting with people. If you have people that are working for you, being more mindful of that. Um, and so I think making that, you know, a requirement, you know, across the board, because right now it's a requirement, you know, to get the sexual harassment, you know, everybody, if you right. do this, you are set, you know, you get in big trouble. If you do this, this is what it looks like. Um, and so if, we, if there's some kind of something similar to that, where like people can, you know, see what, what microaggressions look like, see what, you know, um, biases can do um, to, to make that something that is, is required. So people are able to recognize and also like 
make it so people can talk with each other Mm -hmm. about their own struggles. Um, I think it's just been a taboo topic um, that people have have had a hard time talking about some of these things. Um, You know, I I was listening to uh, one of my favorite singers. Her name is Liz Weiss. And she was just saying that, like, how how much more powerful it would be if someone, you know, from their, you know, white community who is seeing all of these issues can go back to their own community Mm -hmm. and bring up the conversation and dinner and be like, hey, like, what do you think? You know, our, you know, black brothers and sisters who are Hispanic brothers and sisters, like they're going through it right now. How can we be do better? Right. And just, you know, it would it would hit different than if, you know, I was to come over and talk to their family. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's one thing. Um, Another thing is like mental health, Um, you know, with uh, seeing a counselor, that's something that people normally go if something's really wrong. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. I, you know, but what if you just it make it more um, something that's more of like a checkup thing where, hey, just see like your counselor once a year or twice a year. Yeah, (laughs) you know get those skills how to manage stress better how do you you know learn your self-identity better so that you don't wait for a crisis to try to figure it out when you Mm. haven't built those skills um so what if we built that in schools where there's a school counselor that sees all of their students every quarter you know (laughs) and and universities i i I would say yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think a lot of uh, like a lot of high schools have that. They're just not trained in mental health. Like yeah. you know, like we'll sit there and plan your schedule for you and be like, "Are you getting bullied?" No. Okay. Bye. Exactly. Um, but what I'm hearing from you is that what you would push for is a racial bias and cultural competency training, kind of similar to the other online trainings that folks have to do if you're working for the state or or any other um, you know kind of similar positions. That mean you have something that you you seem like you want to say something. But like, how do you feel about like community schools? And where, and this is like pretty prevalent in like rural communities where they have like basically the health center for the entire community on a school campus in the sense that it's kind of just like builds the entire community around like this central space. And so not only are like students getting their care there, but parents are also coming there in turn, in theory, I need to do more research kids the parents are also getting more involved in the school uh yada 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 all the resources needs being met in like one central hub how do you feel about how do you feel about that my goodness I got goosebumps because that is exactly <laughs> like my dream you know like I would love to show up at schools and like help set up something like that you know where because I mean think about it can you imagine how much better our society would function if we were healthier like how much happier are we going to be if our mental health have been taken care of? Like if we feel better, how much are we going to treat someone better than if we're stressed out and lashing out? You know, it's just, it just makes sense. If we do what we can to make the community healthier, Mm -hmm. we can function better on all other areas of our lives um, and and be more efficient. And, oh man, there's this, I I get on my soapbox here, you know, You know, like you we, too, <laughs> man. <laughs> like our society is just built on this, like work like a dog. I only get six days off a year for vacation. Like who? Why? You know, like 
we can't, we're not machines. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah. It's just like this whole multifaceted thing where if we can, we were able to like prioritize the health of ourselves, we would be able to function better as a society and working together like that, where, you know, you have the healthcare working with the education department, working with the government mm-hmm. department, working with, you know, the even the religious department, you know, showing up at churches and giving up, you know, giving talks about how to, you know, navigate this or, you know, yeah. you know, I feel like that's the, what we should be doing, but I feel like we're so fragmented. Yeah. And just, yeah. Yeah. No, I think what like encapsulates that is what Michael said earlier, which is just like, oh my gosh, if I'm not like seriously, like almost like in a position of just like about to, I don't know, like if you're not seriously hurt or sick, you're not going to see medical (laughs) care professionals. Mm -hmm. And it's so, honestly, it's so interesting um, being here, uh, like where they have like the, you know, National Health Service, the NHS, so it's universal healthcare and um, all the time. And my roommate, my roommate's also in the NHS and all the time, like, I'll just be like, you know, I stub my toe and she's like, just call your, call your GP. And I'm like, no, you're not allowed to call the GP. Like, I'm not, I don't have that kind of money. Like, <laughs> I don't have that time. And she was like, no, no, it's fine. Like, they'll just like send you a text and you're like, oh my gosh, it's just so convenient. I got off the phone with like my GP. It was just like, you know, some person they have there and it was the easiest thing. Oh my gosh, it was so easy. I called, scheduled appointment. They're like, we're just going to send you a little text with the address. And I was like, thank you so much. I'm American. I appreciate you. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, okay, have a good day. Um, but yeah, like, it is just so wild. And, and so I guess this, this kind of leads me to the, my next question, which is, um, what do you think about like Medicare for all? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Like, I've gotten to see pluses and minuses about how they how universal healthcare works here. And I think you highlighted a really important factor about our healthcare system, in which it's like very good at like putting out fires. Um, I would love to know about like your perception of Medicare for all as a whole and also how you think our current system maybe helps or diminishes our ability to put out fires. Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And that's something that I'm still learning. Um, and, and so, you know, I like the idea of giving access to healthcare to everybody. Like everybody should be able to get healthcare without having to feel like they have a wall in front of them that they can't get over. Like that, that I, I, I would wholeheartedly say we need to do that. I also, you know, have heard that the downside of that is that people will take forever to see somebody um, in that system. Usually there's that like long-term, you know, wait in being able to see someone or maybe the quality of healthcare that they would receive um, might not be, as great, you know, but I wonder if, you know, plus and minus, like, I guess, you know, benefit versus risk. Um, it's just really heartbreaking when you see people that can't have access to healthcare wait for till it's so late. And then when they come, it's really bad. And then you're like, man, I don't even know where to start. And, you know, even the quality of life we can give just to extend their life right now, it's, it, it's, it's tough. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. If I can, there was a time, Audrey, you probably remember this. It was probably like a year and a half ago. Uh, I was still an undergrad and I, I was in Sacramento. 
um, for for some student advocacy work. And I got like the stomach ache. Like this stomach <laughs> ache was like a hurricane in my stomach. Like it was bad. And like I was in like, you know, the meetings with legislators and stuff. And I was at this lunch and I just could not keep it down. Like I literally would like take a bite and I'd be like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom and literally just puke. And it was just so bad. And then at a point I was like, I got to go. Like I, at first I went back to the hotel and then I was like, no, I have to go to like, I have to see a doctor. I went to urgent care and then like waited in line, the whole deal, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I get them. They're like, oh, we don't take this insurance. And I was just sitting there like, there's like, there's nothing you can do. They're like, no, sorry. Maybe you can go over there. And I'm like, uh, okay like <laughs> like they're like yeah sorry like but if you go to emergency room like they won't ask they'll just deal with it later and i'm like okay so i go to emergency room i show them the insurance blah, blah blah everything was cool i got you know they they gave me some level of medication i don't even remember i leave i thought everything was okay i get home like two weeks later my dad calls me like what is this bill <laughs> and, and basically like they didn't they didn't end up directly charging the insurance and they tried to like you know, charge us. And then we had to like go through this whole insurance war over who's going to pay the emergency room bill. That was like $2,000 for like some pain meds, basically <laughs> like pain meds and like a, like a urine test. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And and so because of experiences like that, people wouldn't go to the healthcare system if they're facing an emergency. They'll be like, let me just wait. I'll wait it out. Like mm-hmm. try some remedies that might make it worse. And anyway, my rant's over, but essentially those are the types of situations we should be trying to avoid. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's just so typical. That is so real. Um, thank you for sharing. Cause I'm sure every listener is like, yeah, no, me too. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you got me thinking, and this is, this is just like a little bit of a rant. And then I, and then I have another question to kind of bring us back, but I do think, and like, you know, we we're kind of talking about this like utopia community center thing. If you look at kind of what's happening right now in the CSU systems with this campaign for basic needs, and maybe I'm dating myself with <laughs> with this conversation uh, from back when Michael and I were both uh, doing stuff with CSU <laughs> student government, but um, but this kind of like whole idea where everything is on campus, I think, has a lot to say for like potential of like what it could look like in other areas that right now as college students you might possibly actually have access to um for the small price of millions of dollars to tuition but anyways <laughs> <laughs> but anyways um i want to get back to this to this other point and i know we talked a lot about how um healthcare workers is a small minority of people of color however that is in sharp contrast to what we've seen in other essential workers during COVID. Um, And I wanted to ask what your thoughts were on that and whether or not you think that this might be a reflection of like our concept of like healthcare in general and how like home life healthcare could actually be part of like, could actually like what's happening in the home could also be attributed to maybe being like essential needs in the long run. Yeah. What happens in the home is huge because what happens in the home is what ends up being put out in the community. And we just see the result of what's happening in the home. So, you know, I I think the way that healthcare has been going now with the pandemic has been a lot more telehealth or like, you know, you're seeing people over video in their homes. And so this is this is kind of new where we kind of get a glimpse a little bit to what their home situation is like. Mm. 
um, which we normally wouldn't have uh, otherwise. And so that is, and then also that also just um, adds more to how much of a challenge some people have if they don't have access to internet. Mm-hmm. We've talked about broadband on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so some people have an, or a computer or something or a mm-hmm. smartphone to be able to see their, their doctor on, online. Um, and then we'd have to do a telephone visit instead, which I mean, is not as good as a video visit sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, that has its pluses and minuses because you can't really fix much through the phone. You know, you might have to tell someone to come in. Um, but then you also know the challenge of some people have with transportation to even show up uh, for for their care. So um, I think, you know, we can use the like telehealth to our advantage to where we get a glimpse of more of the home where somebody might who has transportation issue might feel more comfortable talking to someone on the at home, but also figuring out what are ways that we can um, help people that act- otherwise can't have access to you know, the internet as much or, or like a, a phone that can, can be able to get through as well. Um, uh, that's what, that's a challenge. So I see the plus and minuses with that for sure. <laughs> and I, and I think that our, like our economy in general is, is going to start to evolve towards, towards this. And it's, it's shedding more light because I think, you know, telehealth is expanding, um, is expanding who gets access to healthcare, uh, and you know you're pushing that into rural communities. You're pushing that into places where there's no hospital nearby. But you're starting to also realize the amount of people who still don't have access to that. Um, and so I I just wanted to to say that kind of broadly as we start to see that shift in the economy. More people are probably going to be working from home. Um, we're probably going to see a little bit more of this, but that also means that there's going to be even more highlighted that we're going to have to work on. Um, I also wanted to transition into kind of a closing and wanted to ask you what final question, Adwa, uh, what would you tell young people listening to this podcast um, either about uh, breaking barriers or maybe increasing diversity in their field, um, staying healthy during COVID or even just being an individual as part of an ecosystem that affects the healthcare of a community. Um, what is your final message to our listeners? Yeah, definitely. If you're a young person listening to this and you wonder what is your place or what is your role in society. Just know that you have a voice wherever you, you're at. You have a voice with the people you interact with every day. You're able to communicate with people. You know, you know, being an immigrant, we've had to rely on our community a lot to help us a lot. And so going through medical school, you know, I'm the only person in my family who had to navigate the medical school system and how to do the whole thing, um, you know, without much help from my my family because they don't know how that's like. I've had to ask other people around me and counselors and seek help to give me like some kind of direction to know how I, I should navigate, how, how to get and achieve my goals. And so if you have something that you have this passion burning within you um, or or you're, you're trying to just discover that for yourself, don't be afraid to reach out to the, your community. Find somebody who can really give you that encouragement and also guide you in that path. Um, as far as like breaking barriers goes, um, don't be afraid to be bold sometimes. Don't be afraid to do something that is new 
um, and maybe something that's out of your comfort zone. Um, and, and, and if you're someone who is, you know, a person of color and, you know, wants your voice to be heard, just know that you do have a voice simply by just being a minority um, and being where you're at, you're telling a story. And so keep, cli- keep climbing, keep working hard um, and know that your story can be something that is an inspiration to someone else who's like, wow, if they can do it, that means I can do it too. Um, staying healthy during COVID, <laughs> there's a lot for sure. People can feel more isolated as more things go virtually online. And so being more intentional about seeking out communities that can really build you up and really watching out for your mental health. Go, go find a counselor if you can. Um, if you're in school, a lot of the times they offer that for you uh, free of charge. Um, I went to see a counselor just for the heck of it. I, I did it, you know, and, and it was like one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, helped me with my own personal growth. So I would definitely just go do it. Um, and uh, I'll just do a <laughs> shameless plug. But <laughs> um, um, I've been doing a podcast with my friend called the Healing Tree Podcast. And it's it's really just talking about like, encouragement and a lot about um, spiritual care, care um, um, and just bringing encouragement to others and just helping bring that growth and healing. Um, so if that's something that interests you, um, feel free. That's something that's meant to be uplifting and positive um, and a, a breath of fresh air. So just find something like that, that can lift your spirit. You don't have to listen to the news all day and just get depressed. Like being around people that are positive, <laughs> um, that that actually makes an impact on your health. Um, you know, making better choices for yourself, um, trying to eat healthy, go outside, exercise, enjoy the sun, um, walk your dog. Um, those little things can go a long mm-hmm. way to, to, help, to help you be healthy during this time. And I, w- I wanted to say first, Audra, thank you for coming on, on policy-wise. Um, I, I also wanted to say that, uh, you know, as the little, the little brother, um, <laughs> that Audra was, I think for us and my other sister who's between us, um, the trailblazer for sure. Um, she helped me with my college applications. She helped me with my FAFSA, like anything I needed. I was like, Audra, <laughs> um, and including like, and I think that this is just like, like this was the benefit of having a sibling that like already kind of paved the way. Like we would have some of the same teachers and like she, she was one of those that saved all of her work. And so I basically had like a, what did Audra do five years ago? Like, let me look at her homework, like uh, the same textbook. Um, and it was golden. And so, but, but I think that these are some things that you're able to find in your community and, and that, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to have it in a sister, but that, that it's in your community, either, you know, with other family members, but also, um, other people you might meet out there and that, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to, to be that person that does it for the first time. And, and, but that there are other people who have done it as well is that in that you're able to find those folks um and and get to where you want to be thank you so so much for being on the on the podcast um wow yeah it's been really great i wish i would have said something nice about my brother (laughs) 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 morgan morgan you're great i love you thank you for trailblazing for us too thank you so much for being with us and and for sharing and i certainly took a lot away from this so um i hope our listeners did too I'm sure they did. <laughs> okay, the pleasure to here. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on another episode of PolicyWise. We are your hosts, Demetria and Michael. Michael and I would love to hear from you. What topics would you like to hear about, and who would you like to hear from? 
check the episode description for a link to our survey. Thanks. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Youth Leadership Institute makes sure young people are at the decision-making tables across California. And California Forward leads a statewide movement, bringing people together across communities, regions, and interests to improve government and ensure that the economy works for everyone. Jarrett Ramones produced this episode. Social media graphics created by Abby Peel. And the music was sourced from artlist.io. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussions with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion here on PolicyWise.